Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode three of the Allie on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and today we are talking to Allison Desir. Allison is the founder of Harlem Run, a running group in New York City. She's an activist, and she's currently training to run the Boston Marathon. Allison has been all over the news lately as the driving or running force behind the Run for All Women. Allison led a relay-style run from Harlem to Washington, D.C. to raise money for Planned Parenthood. Her goal was to raise $44,000, and you'll have to listen in to find out how much she actually raised. I loved talking to Allison about the Run for All Women, how and why she created Harlem Run, and how running has helped her get through some really challenging times in her life. I guarantee you will leave this conversation feeling super inspired and wanting to start a movement of your own. Now, eventually I'll stop it with these reminders, but for now, I would love it if you would please subscribe to the Alley on the Run show and leave a rating and review on iTunes. The guests on this show have been so great so far, and I'd love for more people to get to hear from them. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy my conversation with Allison. All right, so I am talking to Allison Desir today. Allison, how's it going? Going well. Hey, Allie. Where are you? I am actually at Columbia University Medical Center. They have strong internet here. So. Perfect. <laughs> That's kind of the beauty of living in New York City, right? It's like, oh, my, exactly. like, do you even need internet at home? It's like you can go oh, anywhere. Yeah, I just was like Googling places that I could go, and I still have my Columbia ID, so why not? <laughs> I love that. So you, you went to Columbia to get your master's. Yeah. I actually, I went uh, three times. I got my undergrad there. I got my first master's in international affairs and my second in counseling. Wow. So you, I mean, you probably like own part of that internet then. <laughs> exactly. I, I deserve this. Yeah, it's, it's your right. <laughs> um, awesome. So I want to, there's so much that I want to talk about with you today. Um, cool. First, let's talk about Harlem Run because when I think of you, I think of Allison as the founder of Harlem Run, which is a running group in New York City in Harlem, of course. Um, and I want you to talk a little bit about where Harlem Run came from, because you never said, I'm going to start a movement. You right. Just no, said, not at all. I'm going to start running. So tell me a little bit about where Harlem Run came from. Yeah, exactly. Um, never knew that it would become a movement and that it would take on so much of my life and the lives of other people. But I started running distance in 2012. So I was going through a period of depression and um, you know, couldn't find a job. I broke up with uh, my boyfriend at the time and my father was, um, he had been diagnosed with Lewy body dementia and his condition was, wor- condition was worsening so he could no longer speak, he couldn't um, feed himself, he couldn't really walk. So I was looking for something to get me out of that. And I just so happened to be um, going through Facebook and I noticed that my friend's brother was training for a marathon and raising funds for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And he seemed really happy and he had not been an athlete. So I was impressed that suddenly he was doing all of this, you know, like running miles and miles um, with his new friends. So something in me was just like, you know what, I'm going to sign up for a marathon. So I, <laughs> I went down to the team and training office in New York and I committed to run a marathon and raise $3,500 for a team and training. And, um, like really, it just sort of went from there. Like week by week, I started seeing myself do things that I could never do before. I remember when I ran my first six miles, I was like, this, I'm amazing. <laughs> like this is the longest I've ever run. 
Um, and I wound up running um, the marathon in June. It was in uh, the San Diego Rock and Roll ha- Marathon. So I ran the race and raised $5,000 for team and training leukemia and lymphoma society and um initially i was like this is just a one-time thing to start feeling better about myself but of course i got hooked um and from there it grew into this group harlem run that i established so before you committed to running a marathon you're you had never run more than six miles uh well yeah actually in um high school i was a sprinter so in high school i was running the 400 and the 400 meter hurdles and there was one time that i ran 10 miles but I couldn't walk for like four weeks after that. So, <laughs> so you didn't finish that run and say, oh, I love this. You finished and you're like, okay, back to the 200. Exactly. One loop of the track is plenty. Exactly. And then it wasn't until 2012 and this it was really like um, for mental health reasons that I found distance running. So it's interesting to me that you did run in high school and that you were fast and fit and that was a big part of your life. But then did you stop running for a little while before you picked it back up? Yeah, exactly. So um, in college, I ran my first semester, but I wasn't really um, into it. And I was going to school in the city, so lots of distractions. I was not um, not really focused on my studies. Like I did well. Um, thankfully, I you know I just excelled academically without really trying that much because I was always out partying. I was never exercising. And <laughs> living all the that dream. Is really, yeah, exactly. <laughs> living the dream like a college kid. Um, and all that is really, I, now when I look back on it, like my years in college, I definitely did not maximize them. And I see how, um, what I did in college really set me up for feeling pretty badly about myself for the years after college, because I didn't take advantage of relationships. I didn't, um, really focus on what I wanted to do after college. I applied for my first master's because I was like, okay, school is something that's like not so difficult for me and I can get it done. Um, but I didn't really have the sense of direction and meaning that I have now. I love that you're like, yeah, school was the easy part and you're at Columbia. You're not <laughs> at like, you're not in like fourth grade, like phoning in arithmetic. You're like, yeah, so I just like casually went to an Ivy and I was like, wow, this is easy. I'm going to do it again. But see, like, here's the thing, like school was easy for me, but like real life was so hard. Like I had no emotional intelligence. I didn't really know how to have relationships with people, uh, romantic or otherwise. I didn't know how to process my feelings and emotions. So I could go in and I could like study my ass off and do really well. Um, but that wasn't, like I had no real life skills. And that's where I found myself in trouble. All right, so we were talking about how... Um how training for your first marathon helped you find the things that you were lacking yes. before that. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, um, as I was saying, I, I really what I realized is that I was very good at school, like super school smart. That stuff came easy to me. But what was difficult was um, that I lacked emotional intelligence and I really didn't have any healthy coping mechanisms for depression. So you know, I still go through depression, periods of depression now, Um, But what's different is that I have an understanding of counseling psychology. I have running that um, can help me through, help me cope with what I'm, what's going on. But immediately after college, I I didn't have any of those things. So after graduating with my first master's, when I couldn't find a job, that was really devastating because I I had been in school all this time. I was, I felt like I, um, it should have been easy for me to find a job. I was also in this relationship that was just like awful. I was being lied to and being cheated on, but didn't find enough value in myself to um, say anything or put a stop to it. And then, of course, with my father being so sick, um, I think that's hard for anybody at any age to to understand how to, you know, best deal with somebody who's going through depre- uh, 
suffering from Lewy body dementia. But it just seemed like on all angles, my world was falling apart. And so I spent a lot of time just in my apartment. I had no job. I had nowhere to go. So um, it wasn't until I started training for this marathon that I actually had a reason to leave my house and I had something that I could share with other people. That's so amazing. And that's so, that's so powerful, the way that running... Um, you know, I always get a little like, I kind of make that scrunched up face when people are like, running is my therapy because I'm kind of right. like, well, therapy is therapy. Exactly. Running, I think, can be supplemental. And I think running, of course, works wonders. And I'm sure there was a time that I used that phrase too. Right. Um, but it really does, without running being therapy, it very much does show the power that running can have. So when you were going out and training for the marathon, um, and I don't know if you'll remember, but what was your kind of approach to your runs? Were you like, I want to zone out or did you use running as a time to really think about things or both? Yeah, I would say both. It depended on where I was at at that particular moment. But I think in particular, like for the times that I went out and I was zoning out, I was zoning out on maybe like the, um, the awful things that were going on in my life, but I was zoning into the fact that um, I was so much stronger than I thought. Like, even to this day, I'm not somebody who really, like, I don't really, like, time all my runs. I'm not really um, so concerned with how fast I'm going. Um, I mean, I like when I'm going fast, but I'm not, like, you know, tracking my miles necessarily. But I just was like, holy shit, like, I'm doing this. The thing, like, my training plan says six miles, and I'm, I hit the six miles. My training plan says a tempo, and I'm capable of doing that. So I was finding that my body was so much stronger, and it was sort of my mind that was catching up. And I, I totally agree with you about the, the running is therapy thing. I think running is, is so useful, but also through running, I found actual therapy. You know, as I was running, I, then I started getting interested in, or I started hearing things like sports psychology. And I was like, what's that? Like, what's visualization? What, what are all these things? And, and that's what led to my second master's in counseling psychology became, because I came more interested in the connections between mind and body. So while uh, sports, running, um, it's an amazing coping mechanism. There really is value in sitting down and trying to process your emotions and, and speaking about things from your past that, you know, may still be unresolved. And, um, and that's the work of like therapy itself. That's amazing. And so then you finished that first marathon yeah. and you said that was just going to be like a one-time thing. Yeah, I was like, it's over, never running again. <laughs> yeah, famous last words. Yeah. <laughs> Allison has obviously since run several more races and marathons and is training for Boston right now, which we'll talk yeah. more about. Um, but what was it that made you want to keep running? So I, at the same time that I was training and fundraising, I was also blogging about the experience at powderedfeet.com. So I was just like sharing my discoveries about myself and little things that I was learning about sports psychology along the way. And um, unbeknownst to me, my mom started sharing the blog with everybody, like as my mom always does. My mom, my mom is like my biggest marketing manager. So she, she starts sharing with everybody. And then suddenly there's like hundreds of people who are following my blog. Um, and my mom was like, you know what, you should like, you should start a club. Like you're talking about running, you should start this. So with my mom's, um, like coercion, I decided that I was going to start a run club at the time it was called powdered feet run club. And the idea was really just to share with other people the sort of like transformational experience that I was having and run in my neighborhood, which was Harlem. So I started that in November of 2013. And, um, of course nobody showed up for like four months. But every Monday at 7 p.m. I was meeting and I was posting on meetup.com. I was like stalking people on Instagram. I was going to runs all over the city to try to recruit people. 
Um, so I would say like maybe like February or so, uh, the first woman came. And so we ran together. Krista, she's, she's a good friend of mine now. And then um, it's funny because this was three years ago, but I still remember all of these moments. I remember um, April, early, in early April, it was the run as one uh, race with New York Roadrunners. And I actually, um, after that run, I, that's when I met Amir. So Amir had been posting on Instagram using the hashtag we run Harlem. So of course I stalked him and I was like, what's we run Harlem? I have my own running club, like we should meet up. So I went and I ran with him that first day and he soon joined my group. It wasn't too long after that that we decided like, let's just join forces. Why have two competing groups in Harlem? Then, um, then I would say there was like five of us and I was like, I have a group. <laughs> and little by little, it just kept growing. I met uh, Mary Arnold in July of that year and she at the time owned the domain harlemrun.com because New York Running Company, their domain is actually run.com. So she was like, Allison, I bought this domain when I moved to Harlem. You're actually doing this. Why not take this domain? And people will find the club more because it'll have the words Harlem and run in it. <laughs> so she gave me the domain and um, then I would say like the next big moment was when I met Kai because he showed up from meetup.com. He just like showed up and came to a run. So by the end of that summer, I feel like we sort of we had um, like a little bit of a group in place. And by the end of the following summer, we had 200, 250 people wow. showing up. And, yeah, and we had uh, a feature in Runner's World. So it was just like this amazing um, sort of like whirlwind, but also uh, domino effect of like just putting things in place and, and really believing in this in the importance of community and making it accessible for all people. And, um, and people showed up. That's amazing. And it's worth noting, Amir, who Allison mentioned um, oh. from one of the first five, is now her boyfriend. So right. in That's addition to the 250 people, there was, you know, that one little special one, <laughs> be all cheesy. Um, but that's so cool. And so, you know, what I think is so special about Harlem Run is that, A, it's huge. Yes. And that it all kind of came from you and that you said there were times that you showed up and no one else showed up, but you didn't. You didn't say, all right, forget it. You went back the next Monday and the next yeah. Monday. So, I mean, I am a sensitive person. So I think for me, I would have been like, no one showed up. I think I would have cried. And I think I would have just definitely like never shown up Monday at seven. <laughs> I would like change my runs to six or 8 p.m. just in case I wouldn't want to see people. Um, yeah. But you stuck with it. What, what was it that made you keep showing up? Um, I think, so it was two things. One, it was um, the fact that my mom was like, sort of like, if you build it, they will come. My mom's like, you haven't even had it that long. Meanwhile, like this was like four months in. My mom's like, you haven't even been doing it that long. It's so cold out. And I was like, mom, it's really not that cold. And it's been four months. <laughs> but she's like, people are watching you and people want to be a part of something that is consistent and that's organized. Right. And like, the, if you keep, if you if you're not there, the day that you miss is when somebody will come and then they'll be like, you know what, I'm never coming back again. So my mom, and then also just knowing how important running was to me, um, I was like, okay, like I'll just keep running by myself. Eventually somebody will come, um, but this is something that I'm gonna do regardless. I'm gonna do it regardless Monday at seven and I'll just wait for people to show up. But it's like, I think now when people come to Harlem Run, like last night we had a, a Black History Month scavenger hunt for our Harlem Run and there was probably like 150 people. And like, I look at when new people walk up and they have no idea that at one point it was like me and Kai, you know, and like, or like seven of us and there were no pace groups. We were all just trying to like run somewhere in the middle, you know? 
it's, it's pretty amazing. I love that. So break it down for people who are new to Harlem Run. Um, how often do you meet and where and what are the workouts? Yeah, so we meet on Monday nights at 7 p.m. at Marcus Garvey Park. And we meet Thursday nights at 7 p.m. The location uh, varies. So Monday night we focus on um, like a fun three to six mile run. We have pace groups from eight minute to 12 minute. And then we have a walking group and a run walking group. So what we find is that um, people of a range of abilities come. Parents will bring their kids. Um, you know, people when their mothers are in town or their fathers in, are in town, they'll bring them too. So it's like this really fun space to get um, some miles in. Then on Thursday, we focus more on speed work. So it's a partnership with Harlem United, which is a local nonprofit. And um, we meet up and we'll do like hill work or we'll do track work or um, stairs, something that will get you stronger for your runs in general. Again, that's for all paces. So people tend to be afraid when they hear the word speed, but we have walkers who come and they speed walk, you know? So again, all abilities. And outside of that, we have a ton of fun events. We have, um, this will actually be the third year of the Harlem One Miler, which is a one mile race that benefits again that, that nonprofit Harlem United. Year one, we had 150 people. Uh, last year we had over 600 and uh, Spike Lee came, which was fun. Yeah. He just like <laughs> rolled up on his bicycle. <laughs> uh, we also had Ida Keeling, who is the 101 year old, um, uh, she set the record in the 60 meter dash, I believe. And she was there. She was like dancing and stretching and hanging out. And um, actually what's really exciting about this year is we're going to expand that event to Detroit as well. So we have the Harlem one miler coming up in June and we will have the Detroit one miler in September because the idea is we want to bring fitness to different urban areas around the country. And um, why not Detroit? That is awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. First of all, Thank and how you. cool that like, what was once you kind of running by yourself and hoping you'd make a friend, you're now a race director. Seriously, which is also so cool because it's like brought out all of these talents and not only myself, but other people in leadership. Like I found that Kai is like a super talented photographer and um, creates great content for social media. Like Amir is putting together our, our content strategy. Kayla is like the super blogger admin that's behind the scenes. So I think for all of us, it's it's allowing us to do things that um, like in a traditional career, you nobody gives you the opportunity or the trust. And now we're all just making it up. <laughs> and the race Harlem One Miler, I'll be sure to include a link for it in the show notes Sweet. because it is awesome and everyone so should fun. do it. And um, registration opens. It's actually open. It's open we now. Opened up, yeah, we opened it up early this year. Um, we were like, why? Like, why wait? We know the date, which is June 18th. We have everything in place. So we're hoping... You know, I said we had 150, then a little over 500. This year we're hoping for 1,000 people um, to show up. And, um, yeah, who knows we got who this. else show up. Yeah, it's in the bag. Yeah, <laughs> so be one of the 1,000. Run this yes. race. It is so much fun. If you've never – last year was the first time I ever raced a mile. Like, yeah. I'm out here, you know, oh, yeah, I run marathons. But if you've never raced a mile, it is so fun. And I promise it is just as rewarding as running a marathon. You finish and you want to die and your legs are burning. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's awesome. So uh, here's hoping for an amazing race day this year, which I'm sure it will be in both Thank cities. You. That's super yes. exciting. Yeah, so excited for Detroit. We're going to go out and do um, a couple of events leading up to it to like recruit people and get the community really invested. We're working with partners in Detroit, obviously, who were like, this is awesome. You know, like we wouldn't be going to other cities if we didn't think what we had was really valuable. And um, so far, the reception has been really great. 
Love that. And I love seeing the support that you're getting everywhere. So the thing about New York City is I think in the last couple of years, especially, there's been this boom of free running clubs. You know, it yeah. used to be there were running groups you could join, but you either had to pay or you had to commit to a certain number of weeks or classes. And now there are groups like November Project and like Harlem Run uh, where you can just show up and it's non-committal. Uh, but of course, many people do end up coming back and forming that special community. What is it in a city of a million people or eight million people and just as many runners? What is it that makes Harlem Run special? I think what makes Harlem Run special is um, that it's for all abilities and that it's really more about social change. So, you know, the way that I came to running was um, I use running as a vehicle to help me with my mental health and feel better about myself. And I see Harlem Run as a vehicle for social change in that it's helping build stronger community, helping give access to fitness to a community that typically does not have access. So that feeling that like not only are you running, but you're doing something bigger than yourself and then that it's for everybody, you know, like there are a lot of groups out there that if you're a walker, there's no place for you. Um, or that if you're older, there's no place for you. If that you're nine years old, there's no place for you. And we do our best to include, um, we say people of all abilities. I recognize that certainly there are probably people who still have, um, you know, reasons for not showing up. But we do our best to make it a, a place that's inclusive. And I really do the, think those are the two things that set us apart. Love that. Um... And you recently did a retreat as well. Yes. So we um, we did, this is actually our second retreat. Our first one was just for the leadership to sort of like sit down and, and be like, damn, guys, we're doing this. <laughs> and the second one, we um, we've all developed such close bonds in Harlem Run. And you can see that in the relationships that are forming outside of, outside of Monday and Thursday night. And so we thought, wouldn't it be cool to like bring those people in, let them know a little bit more about like Harlem Run itself, and then you know, touch base on what their, what their goals are, what they're excited about, not just for Harlem Run, but, you know, life in general. So it really became, um, and obviously there was um, an athletic component. We did like runs and um, we did a boot camp and we also did like a meditation. So now we're thinking about how can we make the retreat even bigger? You know, how can we, again, invite more people to it and really make it um, uh, like a sort of four day transformational experience for people where we're, we're talking about more like concrete things. You know, I think, if you have an issue that needs um, that you would need like a professional for like a, a counselor or psychologist, like this retreat is not for that. This retreat is really just to like jumpstart you on thinking about, um, you know, goals that are bigger than yourself and how you can commit to like the little the little steps, you know, the the everyday behaviors that can make a change um, for you. And we had I think we had like 25 people at the retreat this year. And next year, we're hoping that we'll probably double that and we'll be abroad. Love it. That's yeah. super exciting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we can't go too long in this conversation without talking yeah. about the run for all women because yeah. um, there's a very good chance you've seen Allison's face all over the media <laughs> or uh, various news outlets lately because she was the mastermind behind the run for all women, the run to DC. They, um, I'll let you talk about it more because you're much yeah. more eloquent about this than I am. But <laughs> Allison, uh, and a group, they did a relay and ran from Harlem to Washington, D.C. to arrive in time for the Women's March the day after the inauguration this year. Allison's goal was to raise $44,000 for Planned Parenthood. The 44 is in honor of President Barack Obama, our 44th president. And drumroll please, 
Did you yeah. surpass your goal, Allison? Just a little bit. We more than doubled it, and we raised $103,500 for Planned Parenthood. $103,000. Their goal was forty-four. Yes. So, I mean, I just want you to tell me about this for hours, because first, <laughs> first let's talk about uh, where the idea came from. Yeah, so I think you'll you'll see a little pattern in how I operate. I was um, the idea. I was sitting there and I was thinking about uh, my community. I was thinking about um, you know how special running is and and the kind of support that I've received for um, initiatives in the past. And I was thinking about how I felt like I hadn't done enough during the election period to help Hillary get elected because I sort of assumed that it would just happen. I was like, okay, I'll vote. You know, everybody sane is going to vote for Hillary, so I'll do something more when she's in office. Um, but I was reflecting with the new year coming up, and I was like, wow, I really didn't do everything that I could do. And I have this massive community. How did I not do more to organize people to make them aware of just what her platform really was about and how much was at stake? So I felt like I hadn't done enough, and I thought, you know, like, I should mobilize my community. So I decided, you know, why not? Like, I want to get to the, the march. Why not run there and create a fundraising campaign. Like in the past, historically, um, marches obviously have been used to, to raise awareness and mobilize people, but so have various runs. Uh, most recently, um, in, in, in defense of the, or a, to run against the Dakota Access Pipeline, uh, a bunch of students organized and ran, I forget how many miles, but um, again, to raise awareness for what was going on there. So knowing that there's also a history of running being really political, I was like, okay, I'm gonna run to, to DC, get there in time for the march, and I'm going to raise money for Planned Parenthood. So I had the idea on like a Thursday, and I reached out to my good friend, Talisa, who runs with us, and I was like, I have this idea, but like, I can't talk now, so like, can we talk tomorrow? And she was like, what the hell are you talking about? But she was super patient, so I give her a call on Friday, and I was like, yeah, so I want to run to DC, we'll do it over five days, and we'll stay at different people's houses, but I can't do it alone, so like, do you mind breaking up the mileage with me? I think it would be a really cool and important moment. And she said yes. So then um, I sort of like let it marinate a little bit. And two days later, I created the GoFundMe account. And um, on GoFundMe, I told a little bit about how I came to decide that this is what I wanted to do and that I'd be doing it with a small team. The reality is at that point, the small team was just me and Talisa. But I was like, I'm going to put it out into the universe and it's going to happen. So very soon thereafter, two other women, Kita and Kim reached out. So then I officially had the four women that I spoke about. <laughs> and, um, you know, like it was, it was interesting to watch the first day donations started coming in. The largest one was from my mom, of course, which was $200. And I was like, yes, okay, at least we raised $200. And I went to sleep and woke up and it was like $3,500. The next day it was 8,000. By day five, it was, um, by day five we had actually reached, uh, no, day five I think we were like $25,000. And we had re received an overwhelming amount of interest in being part of the run. That's when I contacted Mary Arnold, the same woman who had given me the HarlemRun.com domain. And um, she was like, look, I have a lot of experience doing overnight relays. Why don't we condense the timeline, turn it into an overnight relay, and then women and men can join us every four miles along the route. So the thing came together so quickly, um, but it just like it felt right when it came out of my mouth. And um, seven days later, we reached the $44,000. And on our way back, when I was on the bus, um, that morning I appeared on MSNBC, like national TV, so crazy. And um, thanks to, to Joy Reid of AM Joy, she put it out to her audience and we 
surpassed $100,000 on our way back to New York. That is incredible. So, yeah. so congratulations, of course. Thank you. <laughs> so when you first created the goal of $44,000, did you think that would be hard to reach? Or were you like, 44, I got this? Because that's a big number. I mean, I put it down and I thought the whole thing was outrageous. But I was like, I'm going to somehow make this work. Like, I actually was like, the run was obviously going to be hard because that's 240 plus miles. It wound up being around 252. But I was like, honestly, the run is more realistic than the fundraising goal because I don't know people who just have like thousands of dollars lying around. And what I actually found was that, you know, we probably had like um, 15 donations that were um, like we had maybe five donations that were $500 two or three donations that were $1,000, one of which came from Elvis Duran from the Z Morning Zoo. No which, kidding. Yeah, yeah, totally. He was tweeting about it, and he was, like, talking to all of his friends, saying that they should contribute. But anyway, so we had some, like, um, you know, a good amount of, like, pretty big donations, but the majority were donations from $5 to $25. So that also is what's really powerful, because you're not talking about people who have, like, a ton of money. You're talking about people who, for whom this was, like, a very big sacrifice to donate, but that's how important Planned Parenthood is, and that's how important the mission of what we were doing spoke to them. Um, you know, it'd be different if I had a bunch of millionaire friends. Um, it'd be, I'd be like, of course, I'm going to get this money. But no, it's from people like all around the country who really felt invested and recognized just how um, scary the times are that we're in, and they were willing to give what they had. And I think a lot of credit goes to you. I think you know. I think you're always. Yeah all about sharing the credit with your community, but I think what you personally did resonates with a lot of people, especially runners who are saying, uh, you know, in this political climate and, and always is, I'm a runner, what more can I do with that? And right. I think that it is really powerful to see someone using running to make such a, such a statement and to, to give back. And I think yeah. ultimately, you know, from us all sitting at home on our couches, you know, for me, it was very easy to make, make a donation. I'm not out there running. Um, so that's the other thing. When you first planned this, you were like, okay, yeah, I'll run 240 miles. So you were going to have your friend who isn't running just the best form of peer pressure. My goodness. We, us runners can get anyone to do anything. So yes. you were like, okay, you were like, I'll need you to jump in with me every so often, but you know, I'm going to run 240 miles. And you weren't worried about that. You were worried about the fundraising. I mean, I was, yeah, uh, to be honest, like, the thing is, I felt, it's kind of funny because, like, you know, you hear these amazing stories of, like, um, a child is getting crushed by a car. And, like, the mother lifts the car somehow and, like, doesn't break a single bone, doesn't even break a sweat. And, but it's just because the situation was that serious. And that's sort of how, what I was thinking about. I was like, Okay, I'll have Amir, my boyfriend, driving the van. He doesn't need to sleep, whatever. I'll have, I'll have Talisa with me helping. And then if somebody is to continue to drag me, like, we're going to make this happen. So obviously I was really relieved when other women decided to join in. But it's just, I think, like, miraculous things um, can come and can happen um, under these type of circumstances. But what I'm, what I'm hoping for now is... Um, well, I mean, we're still under pretty dire circumstances and we, we may be for several years. But the idea is like, how do we sustain this movement and how do we make sure that we don't lose momentum? Um, whether it's like my own initiative of Run for All Women or women across the country, across the globe, because this, you know, we're certainly um, not in a position to stop being vigilant. There, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Right. Agreed. Um, 
So you broke the relay up into about four mile segments. Yes. In total, how much did you personally end up running? I ran 75 miles. Wow. So yeah, I, um, I ran, it was, you know, the mileage was hard, but what was even harder was then jumping back into a van and like sitting. <laughs> so we had, um, we actually, you know, the, as the event grew, sponsors and people wanted to contribute any way that they could. So a sponsor donated uh, this beautiful van for us and actually drivers who um, took eight hour shifts to ensure that nobody was asleep at the road. So, I mean, that's great that none of us had to drive and the van was beautiful. But you're running like, you know, one stretch I ran 20 miles straight and then I jumped into the car and then you're sitting and like your knees are like, like hugged tight behind somebody else. Like we did have compression sleeves, again, donated by Finish Line, which was amazing, but you don't get good blood flow when you're cramped in a van. So um, it was painful. It smelled awful in that van. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> we, we definitely like got on each other's nerves, but we always were thinking about how much bigger this was and and like people were tweeting us, people were posting on Instagram, people on the side of the road, like in the middle of nowhere, suddenly there was like a group of women holding signs, you know? So um, we were like, it was pretty uncomfortable and at times gross in the van. But, you know, the fact that every four miles we were seeing new people and getting fresh energy really like kept us focused on what we were doing. That's incredible. What were the highlights, the, the most notable highlights and lowlights? Okay, highlights... I, would, I have a few. One was when we were um, we were in Delaware, and uh, it was like three or four in the morning, and we met this group of women. They had coffee for us, and this one woman came up, and it looked. I was like, oh, maybe she just has like a lot of clothing on because it's cold. She was actually 34 weeks pregnant, and she ran with us for I believe eight miles. Wow. But she was like, yeah, she was like, this is so important to me. So that's one pregnant woman. Another pregnant woman was set to give birth that night. But she, she, she like, that was the scheduled date, but she hadn't yet gone into labor. So she was like, I'm going to run these miles. And we were like, what? Like, when I'm about to go into labor, I don't know. I'll be, like, screaming somewhere. Did you get her contact information? I have her contact information. What I have to go through Yeah, what if she had her baby that night and named it Allison? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think that happened, but... Well, you should find her. out. And then let's yeah. have her on this show. <laughs> the baby or the woman? Both. If the baby is named Allison, it's obviously very advanced and already speaking. School will be easy for that baby. (laughs) Those were my two like pregnant people stories, which were amazing. And then when we got to Baltimore, um, so the Baltimore PD had actually reached out to us and um, Sergeant McKinley, like such a sweet guy, he was like, look, I'm not scheduled to even work on Friday night, but I see that you're coming through our neighborhood and we Mm -hmm. want to welcome you into our city and make sure that you have no issues. We were never in danger. Like we never felt like we were in danger. We were doing things like we were back tweeting to make sure nobody knew exactly where we were, if they had malintentions. So I never felt like we were in danger and the police weren't saying you're going to be in danger. The police were saying, we want to welcome you into our neighborhood. So when we got to Baltimore, we had like a motorcade escort, the streets, like they secured the streets for us. So we were literally, literally running through the middle of the streets in Maryland um, and it was just amazing to see that uh, it was not it's not only touching women. It's not only touching like runners, not only touching people who are activists. It's, it's touching like, you know, Baltimore PD. It's touching people from all walks of life who see the importance, even if they don't necessarily agree with what we're running for. They see the importance of having the freedom to do it and the safety to do it. And I think that's a, a big testament to is what you just said, is that 
there might be people who didn't agree with with what you're doing, who don't think that, you know, as crazy as this is to hear these words come out of my mouth, who don't think Planned Parenthood should be should be funded. Um, but yeah, that so many rallied behind you and gave you support and that it came directly from the police department, which I think is is nice. Like it's really nice to hear those stories right yes. now more than ever, I think. Yes, absolutely. And, and you, you know, it makes you, um, like it really humbles you and makes you realize that like, um, you know, when you actually talk to people on a one-on-one -on -one basis, like you can, you, you can connect in ways that, that are so meaningful versus just talking about like, if you talk about like the police in general or the government in general or whatever the case may be. If you look at it as like this huge, big thing um, then it's easy to criticize. But when you actually get to know people and you understand their story and where they're coming from and you can have, you know, cordial conversation, uh, that's when you can really connect with people and make change. It's, nothing's going to change if we're just like on two different sides and we're screaming at each other based on what we believe the other person is about. Absolutely. What were some of the lowlights of the run? You and Amir are still together, probably yeah. because he didn't have to drive. Let's be honest. If, he, if you had made him drive that whole time, it would be like, well, my ex-boyfriend, Amir, was really influential on Hagerlum Run, but but that was the end of the road for us. Okay, two low lights. One, we were going through, um, I think we were, I don't know, I'm just gonna say Delaware again. I don't know where we were, but we were on this like beautiful path. It was like uh, probably six in the morning and it just got in light out. So me and Amir go out for a run on this trail and Jeff, who is a good friend of ours and was taking video and, and photos, he's on the bike. So it's like, we see all these deer. It's like, there's still like, it's like a little bit humid and like a little bit of mist. And we're like, this is so beautiful. So we, were, well, we were so exhausted. And the van was nowhere near us because it was this trail. And we all were like, what if we just fall asleep right now? Like nobody would ever know what happened to us. We'd never home. And like, um, I mean, it was a low light only because we were so like, it was actually really beautiful. But we were like, yo, this could be the end for us if we just like fell asleep right here on the trail. <laughs> Nobody, nobody would find us for a little while. Thankfully, that didn't happen. Um, and then uh, another low light, I think, you know, it's hard. Like, there weren't low lights. There was just, like, discomfort, you know? Mm -hmm. um, like, there, there were times when we got into arguments because, like, for example, at one point we thought that Kita was in the van, but she wasn't actually in the van. She was in the bathroom. And so we started like going back and forth about like, we need to be more responsible. Um, but it was just like, you know, when you're sleep deprived, uncomfortable, smelling. Close quarters. Like that's the thing. Like for three days, there was no like, okay, I'll see you later. It was like, I'm going to put my eye mask on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so tell me about arriving in DC. What was that like when you actually got to run that last stretch and you were like, oh my, oh my gosh, we actually made it. I didn't fall asleep in the woods. Well, people, people like we were looking at Matt, my run, and it kept saying four more miles. And I was like, it has been four miles for like 26 miles. So we finally get to, um, it was like, it, it was actually four miles away. And District Running Collective, which is a running group based in DC, was there on the corner waiting for us. And they were so freaking exciting to see us. And we were like, hi, <laughs> like on our deathbed. So we meet up with them. We run like three and a half miles. And then all of a sudden, the Capitol building came into view. And that was just like amazing. One, because it's so picturesque and two, because we knew that we were finally going to be done. So we arrived um, 621 in the morning, which we were set to arrive at nine. So we were super ahead of time, which is, you know, if we hadn't been that far ahead of schedule, I don't know if we actually would have been able to get to the Capitol building because, you know, the marchers would have already been there. Sheets would have been closed right. off. 
But there was this one guy in a security car, and he was like, come on in. <laughs> we were able to no, run past him. I'm okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so the security guy ran past him, and we're able to run up to the Capitol building and, and take pictures on the stairs. And it's just like... It, almost at that point, like, we were so happy, but the whole thing suddenly became, like, surreal. Like, it's like, did this really happen? Um, took a bunch of photos, and, and it, it was just, it was amazing because we knew that, like, we went home, oh, we went, not home, we went to the hotel and, and changed, and, and then we got ready to participate in the march. So it was just, like, such an amazing back-to-back experience. And then, you know most people would finish running their 75 miles over the course of a few days and want to immediately go to bed. You then went to the march and you did a handful of press appearances. Yes. So I have to be honest, though, I went to the march for like 0.5 seconds. I like moved a little bit and I was like, all right. Yeah, you did your part. You're good. (laughs) Yeah. And then actually I went to, so I was super excited. MSNBC reached out and wanted, they said that AM Joy, Joy Reid wanted me on the show. So I went to, um, the Joy, AM Joy, Joy Reid's show was sitting there for several hours, but my, you know, my interview got pushed back because the president was actually doing all these things. So they, you know, he got priority. And so I was about to leave and, and the woman was telling me, the woman in charge was like, you know, we definitely want to have you on the show. Maybe we'll bring you back next week. At that very moment, Joy Reid walks down the stairs and Joy Reid's like, you're that girl. You're the one who ran from Harlem. And I was like, yes, it's me. And she was like, look, I'm going to take a picture of you right now, put it on social media so everybody knows and donates, and you're coming back tomorrow morning to be on the show. How great. I love so, that. Yeah, so amazing. And she's, she's like, such a great woman. Like, I was so scared um, or just nervous for the appearance. But when you're in a room, like, I've never done this before. So we walked into, like, the studio, and it's just her and me, and nobody else is in there. And it just felt like I was having a conversation with this one woman. Like, meanwhile, millions of people were watching. But... Um, it was incredible to be able to speak in front of that kind of audience about what we had done. And you did great, the appearance, the the clip. I'll try to find the <laughs> clip so I can include it in the show notes as well. Um, and this is so far besides the point, but you looked amazing. <laughs> like, I run six miles and I look like I just like got sent to Oz. <laughs> you run all that way and then go to a march and... <laughs> You looked amazing. Thanks, girl. So, I don't even you know, know it's how good to, to highlight that. those victories as well. <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> focusing on the issues. Um, so you raised $100,000. Um, tell people where that money is going. So the money is going to Planned Parenthood National. So what's going to happen, I made an original commitment to Planned Parenthood New York. Um, so New York is going to get um, a portion of the money. And then National is going to distribute the money elsewhere. So what I've also learned is that New York is not in danger of being defunded in the ways that some other states are. You know, like Missouri, Iowa, Texas, there are unfortunately so many to name. So Planned Parenthood is going to go ahead and allocate the resources where they're needed most. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's all of them. Like, I'm just going to happily give the money to them <laughs> and they'll take it from there. And, and on to the next great thing that I'm sure you're going to do. So... Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to talk about on this topic is I think there are a lot of people, myself included, who, you know, we have some skills, we have some knowledge of what's going on, whether we're the most informed or not informed at all, but we know that we want to make a difference. What would you tell someone who wants to be more active and isn't sure where to start? I would say that um, 
it's funny, just start, right? Like that sounds so basic, but exactly what you described is actually where I was at too. Like I knew that I had, um, I have a, a certain set of skills as Liam Nielsen would say. <laughs> um, no, I, I have certain skills. I have a community, I have a platform um, and, and I run, right? So I just started to think creatively about how I could use those things together. And you know, like, here's the thing, I didn't set out thinking like, I'm gonna do this and garner national attention and raise $100,000. Like the hope was that I was gonna raise $44,000 and I was gonna make this journey with myself and a few other people. So I think if you even start thinking about what you can do like small on a local level, um, I think it's like so many things can be activism. One of my friends actually from grad school, she and um, a friend of hers recently created this, um, it's a salon, and in the salon, it's, it allows for women who are covered, Muslim women who are covered, to be treated all day without the fear of like men walking in. Love so, that. Exactly, and that's, that's activism too. That's creating a safe space for women of Muslim faith. Uh, they, you know, it's open to all women, but in particular women of Muslim faith so that they don't have to risk being seen uncovered. Um, and that's just like, I w that's something I could never come up with because I'm not into like beauty and salons, right? So I think you have to think about your particular lane, your particular skills, who's in your network and how you can use that um, for what's important to you. And that is a perfect uh, transition into my next topic, which is Project Start. Yes. You, are, you are an ambassador for Project Start. I am as well. So Project Start is a movement that was founded by our mutual friend Candace Huffine, who is a model and she's a relatively new runner. And she wanted to create this movement just encouraging women to start. So very simple. It's Project Start. It's PS You Got This on Instagram. Tell me why Project Start resonated with you and why you wanted to be involved. So it, it resonated with me in particular because the way that I started is because I saw somebody else doing it. And I think that, um, you know, I was, I had the wherewithal to say, I'll do this myself. But I think for a lot of women, um, they don't, they're afraid of taking that action. So Project Start is really about like connecting what you see to then taking action. So as, as a Project Start ambassador, we were able to show, um, share our own journey and encourage other women um, to get to get involved, and I think um, once you actually start, the rest sort of take cares, takes care of itself. But as women, as people in general, we try to think about um, like every step along the way. Like, okay, um, what do I need to wear, and how long do I need to run, and what watch do I need, and what race am I going to sign up for? Like, really, all of that stuff. As you go through the process, you'll figure it out. But it's it's like you need to first get out there and just start your run. Tell me a little bit about after you finished that first marathon that you did, what were your running goals after that? Were you kind of like, I just want to keep running to for my mental health? Or did you say, oh, I now have the racing bug and I want to do that? I think, um, I mean, I still wanted to run for my mental health. And I sort of, um, but at the same time, I, I saw everybody, um, a lot of people who I knew were really caught up with racing. And I think for me, like, I'm not really... I'm not really that person. Like, I like to be fast. I'm competitive with myself, but um, I'm really more about the challenge that it presents and um, the way that the whole experience makes me feel better about myself. So I, I, fin I ran my first marathon, and I didn't really have any other target races, but I did know that if I were running races, it would probably keep me more um, consistent running. So I ran like some 10Ks, some 5Ks. I actually like the New York City Marathon wasn't even on my radar then. Um, I didn't have, I didn't know what nine plus one was. I wasn't really into all of that. Um, so then when I ran my first marathon, 
I use it as a fundraising opportunity again for Harlem United. So running for me, like, you know, now I'm running Boston. Again, I'm running Boston with a purpose, but running really is, is always connected to um, something bigger than just the run itself. So you're training for Boston now, the Boston training Marathon, Boston. which of course is yeah. in April on Patriots Day. You are doing it with a group while you're training as part of a an influencer group. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was contacted by Highlands. They are um, there are 12 other women who are ambassadors this year, and the whole point behind it is to showcase women running the Boston Marathon during the 50th anniversary of the first woman to ever run Boston with a numbered entry. And um, I mean, that fact blows my mind because the Boston Marathon, I think, is like 120 years old, but it was only 50, 50 years ago that the first woman got a numbered entry uh, because she disguised her name. She didn't put her first name. She put Kay Switzer, so nobody knew whether she was a man or a woman. She entered the race, and the race director was so upset that he tried to pull her out of the race. So we are, um, the 12 of us are sharing our story and how we're getting to the finish line in honor of the 50th anniversary of that amazing fact. And what is your, do you have goals? Are you looking for a time goal? Or are you looking to just enjoy, this will be your first Boston, correct? Yeah, first Boston. Boston. I'm just looking to enjoy it, honestly. Um, you know, I just got back from DC two weeks ago and ha I'm having like slight pain in my knee. Um, it's an overuse injury. Like, obviously, I overuse my knee. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have no time goal. I'm really just excited to be there. And, um, you know, I, I'll probably run a few miles with Candice, Candice Hafine, who's also um, one of the, the influencers. And I just want to, like, take in the course. I may never make it back to Boston because I may never qualify. So I'm going to take as much time on that course as I need to enjoy it. <laughs> awesome. Well, we wish you the best of luck with your training. And on race day, hopefully I will, I will be there in person with my jazz hands cheering for you and Candace <laughs> like crazy. Um, and the last thing that I really want to touch on before we have our final round of rapid-fire questions is I would love for you to kind of put into words the role that running has played in your life because it helps you through depression and, and continues, right? I think, you know, mm -hmm. you regularly say that you're not cured of depression, that it does right. come back. So right. you've also somehow, you know, pretty impressively managed to turn running into part of your career and what you do and as a leader and an activist. So um, kind of overall, what would you say the role of running in your life has been? Mm -hmm. I think um, running has really been the biggest element of change, both personal and on a larger social scale. So running has transformed every single thing that I do to the point that um, like running is so much a part of me that, well, this sounds kind of ironic, yeah. but running is so much a part of me that even if I don't run anymore, um, it's still a part of me. You know, like I feel like it's... Um, I'm, I'm creating these um, organizations and legacy around like the power of running and, and how you can make it so much more than that. So I think, you know, if and when I'm, I'm unable to run anymore, um, I can still speak to the value of how um, finding your passion and finding that thing that makes you better can be used on a, on a larger scale. You know, for some people that might be music, that might be, might be dance, it might be art. For me, it was running. So it's just, it's really just a, it's like sort of the, the, the transformational piece that brought in my, my, my life and my world. Awesome. That is, running is magic, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I should have just said that. <laughs>
That's my like cheesy rainbow version. People are like, Allison, eloquently explain running and you go on this whole lovely thing. And I'm like, it's special. <laughs> oh boy. All right. With that, let's get to, this is called our sprint to the finish round of questions. So this yeah. is like, you're almost done with the, okay. with the conversation. Um, Allison has not heard any of these really okay. hard questions ah. until now. What, what would your last meal on earth be? Oh, wow. Um, I told you these are hard questions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lamburger with a gluten-free bun. I know. So random. And then I would also really want some Rocky Road ice cream. I love that it's your last meal on earth and you're still like, I'm still gluten-free. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, now's the time, Allison, if you want to do the bun with gluten, it is your no. last meal. No, because I might have some indigestion in those like last on the way minutes. down. Not worth it. Fair. <laughs> uh, what is your greatest fear? Ooh, my greatest fear is like stagnation. That I would somehow, um, you know, it's it takes a lot of effort to keep going and keep innovating and. Um, and my biggest fear is that I'll just be like, damn, this is like hard and tiring. I'm done. I love that. You're, again, you're eloquent. I'm afraid of, of staying too still. And I'm like, ew, snakes. <laughs> Other than that, we're the same. Um, what is your favorite race you've ever done? Um, okay, this is going to sound like I'm just uh, advertising the Harlem One Miler. But I think like, and actually, I've never participated in the race because I host it. But just watching how excited people are during the Harlem One Miler um, is amazing. Like, the, my, my favorite is actually the family heat. And in the family heat, you have, um, you know, however you define family, whether it's your blood family or whether it's your, your friend family, um, you see, like, babies taking their first walks uh, in life. You see um, the elderly out there um, taking some of their most powerful walks or runs. So I think just, like, watching the joy across the board of people participating in the Harlem One Miler is my favorite thing to witness. Love it. Will there be a dog heat this year? Oh, and I should mention, so there's not a designated dog heat because not enough dogs have uh, signed up, but owners for sure have dogs. There, are, I know, Allie right now is going nuts. If only you could see her. So Ellie should be there. Ellie and all yeah, of her friends. done. <laughs> oh my God, Ellie and Jerry. I love it. Oh, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> Ellie will get so distracted. She'll make it like four feet and then she'll just have to smell stuff. She's like... <laughs> She likes the idea of running. She gets excited when she's like, oh, I get to go with you today, mom. And I'm like, yeah. And then we make it two feet and she smells stuff and then she pees and then she poops and then she chases geese. And like, I have a scrape on my knee right now because I took her out yesterday and I tripped and fell and it, I like skidded my knee. So we, all right, training for Ellie's Harlem one miler starts, there you go. starts this week because we have a lot of work to do. Uh, what is your favorite song to sing in the shower? Oh my God. Um... Wow, I have no idea. I haven't sang in the shower in a minute. Um, you know, I'm known to sing a little Lauren Hill, a little Killing Me Softly. Um, yeah, you are. Which again, <laughs> Allison and her hidden talents. I'm on Facebook last week, and all of a sudden, there's like a link to this video, and it's like, you know, it's this beautiful. What song was it? It was um. um that was Don't Let Go. Uh, 
I was like Jackson Five intro into then in Vogue. Don't yeah, let go. and I'm like, yeah. wow, in Vogue, like throwing it back. I haven't heard them. I'm like, wow, in Vogue, they are so talented. And then I read the description, and it's like, no, this is Allison Desir. And I'm like, wait, what? This is my friend. Like yeah. since when? So of course I had to respond with an audio recording of my own of me attempting to sing, and Allison was, was like, amazing. please never do that again. So our duet is coming soon. Yeah. probably we will sing the national anthem together at the Harlem One Miler. I'm assuming you're going to want that. Obviously. Okay. So just more and more reasons to sign up, people. Dogs, <laughs> national anthem by yours truly. It's going it. to be a great day. Uh, what is your favorite thing to do after a long run? Um, my favorite thing to do after a long run is actually just like eat. Um, I think it's like, I mean, I don't, I'm not really somebody who feels guilty about eating, um, but it's definitely the opportunity to, uh, like, I don't want to say it's like my guilty pleasure. It's just like pleasurable. Pleasure. <laughs> exactly. Non-guilty pleasure. Right. I love, especially when you can, um, like if you're going for a long run with other people and then you can connect and like sit and eat brunch, whether it's out somewhere or just like in my apartment. But I really love being able to um, just like chill and eat. Yeah. Same. Thanks. You're hosting a dinner party and you get to have five guests. Who are Ooh. they? Oprah, obviously. Um, then, um, can they be dead? Sure. Okay, Michael Jackson. Then I would want Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. I would want, um, okay, this is a little weird, Will Smith. <laughs> no, that's a good one. And then I would also want Aretha Franklin. Best dinner party ever. Yes. I'll cook for it. I'll make avocado toast for you. Gluten-free. Gluten-free avocado toast. Um, who was your childhood crush? Oh, my God. Uh, so that is Will Smith, which is why he made the list. Yeah. Even though he's, like, pretty weird now. And he is? Yeah. Is well, he a I Scientologist? Mean, He's a Scientologist and like, it's not even that like, okay, go do your Scientology thing, even though I don't really agree with all of it. But then he's like taking on really weird roles sometimes. Um, yeah. So, but I don't know. I remember when I was in, what grade was I in? I think I was my freshman year in high school and, oh no, it was actually, I think I was in sixth grade and somebody who I went to school with, their father um, was in like, somehow made it to the Grammys. And I don't even know if this is true or not, but my friend says that as Will Smith was going up to receive his Grammy, his father handed him this postcard, uh, not postcard, um, little piece of paper, and he signed it. And the next day, my friend gave me this card with a signature on it. I still have that, and I do not know whether it is, in fact, his signature or not. It is. It's definitely his signature. Congratulations. I don't know. That it's is safe, fantastic. It's safe in storage, and one day I'll sell it for like $5. Have you Googled to see what his signature looks like? No, because I, I didn't want that kind of disappointment. Yeah, I don't think you should. But I'm <laughs> absolutely confident that on his way to receive his award, he stopped and signed that for you. Has to be. I believe it. I, you know, <laughs> I believe in the magic. Um, and you know what? You'll be able to talk about it at your dinner party. Exactly. So, perfect. What was the last great thing you purchased? <sighs> last great thing I purchased. <sighs> That's tricky, too. I can't even remember what it what have I purchased recently? Um, I'm pretty. I'm pretty boring. I don't make wonderful purchases. I, the last just bad I ones. <laughs> well, I mean, I went food shopping. So one of my goals for 2017 is to be one of those meal prep people. Like hashtag meal prep Sunday. So I definitely bought a lot of tasty food that I've been prepping. That's, that's great. That's as exciting as it gets. 
Is there anything <laughs> that you're super excited about that you've meal prepped? Um, so it's actually, it's funny, like a few years ago, if you told me that I'd be trying to cook for myself and for somebody else, Amir, like I would have been like, no, like cooking is so lame. Who has time for that? But now I'm just really excited to even do basic things because I'm finally taking the time to do them. So like I made some, um, right. I made like a roasted chicken the other day and that was so exciting to me because I've, in the past I would have just gone and spent too much money buying that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm really just enjoying the process. Perfect. So look, now you know what you're cooking for your dinner party. This is really coming together. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what is your favorite app? My favorite app? I'm picking up my phone now. What do I use most? Honestly, this is like so sad. Um, my favorite app is really Instagram, <laughs> but mostly because um, like on the one hand, I think like there's so much talk about social media and whether social media, like people know that social media is powerful. Um, but some people say like, you know, social media is, is, is really like lame and you can't live in that world because it's not real. But what I found through Run For All Women was like, it was just like the most powerful tool I ever could have had. Like when I started the fundraising, all I had was the GoFundMe page. I had um, Twitter and I had Instagram and Instagram is where I had more followers. And that's how the message got across. So how did I raise $100,000? Through social media and being connected. So very powerful. Um, yeah, I'm always, I'm, I'm grateful for that. So follow her. She's at Powdered Feet. I'll include that in the show notes. And my last okay. question, who is your favorite runner? Hmm. My favorite runner is actually Mary Wittenberg. And I didn't meet Mary Wittenberg until, um, I think I met her like a year and a half ago. And Mary just has like this insane energy that like wakes you up in more ways than one. And when I first met her, I met her at a 5 a.m. November Project workout. Now, people who know me know that I have mad love for November Project, but I have no love for waking up in the morning. <laughs> but that one particular morning, I got out of bed, and I met Mary Wittenberg, and I actually, I had no idea who she was. I didn't know what she looked like prior to that. So I just wound up being partnered up with her for PR Day, which is like, in my opinion, just like the most awful day, because all you do is run around in a circle for 25 minutes. But I was running around in a circle for 25 minutes with Mary and she just was like so excited and asked me about like um, Harlem Run and like uh, community and what it meant to me and how uh, she talked about how I could engage with more people and she told me a little bit about her life but again not saying like oh I'm Mary Wittenberg at that time she the never CEO does of isn't that no at that time CEO of New York Roadrunners now the global CEO of Virgin Sport she just said it as this like this casual awesome woman and I was like you know Mary you're cool <laughs> and I went home and I like Googled her and I was like, holy Whoa. shit. <laughs> and that's what's so funny is like, Mary will never drop who she is into a conversation. Meanwhile, I meet strangers on the street and I'm like, I know Mary Wittenberg. <laughs> I know. She's like my get out of jail free card. <laughs> yeah. And she like doesn't even say her last name. So, you know, I have a lot of favorite runners. Um, I have a lot of runners who I like for various reasons who are professional elites or just like average normal people. But Mary Wittenberg is, um, she's like such a supporter and it also shows you that you can be the head of something amazing and not make it about you. Like Mary makes it about the team and everybody being successful together. She's never thought of something um, being like competitive against her and therefore she doesn't want to participate. She just really wants to see everybody um, be successful. I love that. That is so true. That is an awesome note to end on. Yeah. Um, Take that with you into your day and on your run, everyone. Allison, thank you so much for doing this. This conversation thank was great. Uh, we'll have to do it again soon. And uh, have a great 
run today. Thank you so or much. Or rest Ash. because of your knee. Yes, a little bit of both. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.